Well, good to be here tonight. I think we're going somewhere. This is going to be an illustrated sermon. And you'll be the illustration. Because we're going to talk about the anointing. And uh, when the anointing touches you or the anointing is stirred in you, just things begin to happen. And uh, the last couple of weeks, we've been talking about moving in the power of the Holy Spirit. And uh, Saturday, we talked about uh, the anointing that was on Elijah's life. Went through many, many of the stories in the Bible about Elijah's life. And he was the predecessor to Elisha. And so we will be talking strictly about Elisha tonight, the one that Elijah mentored. And there's so many uh, revelations in these stories. And uh, then Saturday, Saturday we'll talk about the anointings on the life of Jesus, the anointing on the life of Paul and the other believers in the Bible, and then the anointings on our own lives that have been passed through the ages. There's no new anointing. All the anointing comes from the anointed one with the anointing. And he went about doing good because he was anointed by the Holy Spirit and power. So that's, and, and when we say the anointing, you know, we think substance, you know, we know it's a smearing of the miraculous. We know it's a tangible um, element of God. You got hit? Yeah, it was shot. But the anointing actually God himself walking with us. You know, that makes it real. That makes it personal. God himself partnershiping and uh, walking with us. And so tonight we're going to talk about the Elisha anointings. Amen. Amen. <laughs> Today, uh, this, this picture came to me. And it was uh, a photo in my mind, but I have I actually saw these trees but it was two photos of a persimmon tree that I have at my mother's home. And when it is in full fruit, it is the most magnificent tree, most beautiful tree you have ever seen in your life. It's, uh, it's probably as tall as this building, probably as wide as this front row and maybe this deep. And when it fruits, the fruit is the size of an apple. And the fruit, these persimmons, are bright, bright orange. And so when this tree bears the fruit, I'm not kidding, there's a couple thousand of these bright fruits. It is, it's the most beautiful fruiting tree you would ever want to see in your life. We can't even eat all the fruit. I try to pick the ones off the ground first, but they, the fruit gets ripe so quick, it just starts to fall. I just start calling neighbors to come get it. Deer hunters come get it to get the fruit to feed the deers because they love persimmon. But my point is, there's some uh, years it won't bear any fruit. And then the following year, it's like a bumper crop. <laughs> and uh, there's also an oak tree in my yard. Only one oak tree does this. Uh, it drops bazillions of acorns. And it's like every one of them germinates. And if I wouldn't cut the little seedlings coming up, it would be a mat of leather-looking leaves. 
just it would just carpet the whole place. There's so many seeds, and it's like every one of them, every one of the seed is it, it comes up, it germinates. It's just amazing. And so, you know, when you see a tree, you see a tree. But when you see the fruit on that tree, it's something different. And so I started thinking about the Old Testament. It's like the tree, but the fruit of the Old Testament is the New Testament. The reality of the tree is not to just look good and have limbs and leaves. The true purpose of the tree is to bear fruit. And I'm talking about a bumper crop to the place that you can't contain it or even explain it. And so every time we talk about things in the Old Testament, it, it's only a shadow type uh, of what is really to come. It, it's only a part or a piece of what really is to come. And when we talk about Elisha, it's like, my God, it's not too much of a shadow about this. It's like, this is major miracles in this man's life and what God is doing in his life, but it's only a small thing compared to what the Lord wants to do in this time, in this now. But, but to get an idea of what's to come, we have to see what the Lord has already showed us. And so tonight, I'm just going to talk about some of the miracles of Elisha and uh, I know you know his prayer, and his prayer was to have a double portion of what Elijah had. And Elijah said, you're, you're asking a hard thing. And basically, I mean, I've heard people preach all kinds of messages about, you know, the anointing, you know, unlimited anointing, double for your trouble. I mean, just on and on, all of these messages, but basically what uh, Elisha is saying to his mentor is I want your life replicated in my life. That's basically simple butch language. I just want your life duplicated in my life. So you got two lives. You understand? He's got the life of his mentor and now the life in the calling you know, on his life, and he has a double portion, and now he can go on with the Lord. It's like a lady carrying a baby. She has two spirits. She has two spirits now, and really two spirits of God that God can inhabit because that little baby in the womb is innocent, pure, hadn't sinned. Don't think. Some of us may have sinned in the womb, but... But my point is, when you see a lady pregnant, she glows. That's the double anointing. That it's just a shine. It's, it's something that uh, no portrait or no artist can replicate that. It's, it's just something we can't even put our finger on. And uh, so let's see what was transferred to Elijah. So the anointing is transferred. And so if I'm going to talk about the anointing on Elijah's life, you might as well just be a little Elisha. 
You understand? We can just do it like that. And the Bible talks about in Hebrews 2 that we need to be very, very exceedingly careful and sensitive to listen to the word of the Lord so we won't drift, so we won't be distracted. And Jesus also said, if you're, if you're laboring, you're heavy laden, he said, come to me and I will give you rest to your souls. And he said, I'm, I'm, I'm lowly in heart, I'm humble. And he said, I'll teach you. And he said that my burden will be easy and my, no, my yoke will be easy and my burden will be light. And so his teaching needs to be heard. And hearing what God has to say should be an easy yoke. Take upon this yoke. Listen to me. I'll give your soul's rest. You hear you know what I'm saying? So you should be able to hear the voice of the Lord if you're a born-again believer. So as I'm telling these stories, you just grab when it's time to grab. When the Lord starts to speak to you or you sense that anointing that I'm talking about or you get a revelation in an area of the story that I'm telling, just tap into it. Say, Lord, I'll take that. Uh, let's, let's see the first one. I'm talking about the man, the mantle, and the mandate. Now, the man is Elijah. The mantle is the anointing. And the mandate is the commission. And so you understand there's an anointing that you need for your commission. Uh, you have an official commission on your life. It's a mandate for you to do something for God. You have a part in this generation and this generation coming to our Lord Jesus Christ. Isn't that exciting? You have a purpose. And so even John the Baptist had an anointing. Matter of fact, he had an anointing to see Jesus, to proclaim the Lamb of God. So when, when John the Baptist saw Jesus, he said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. So he had an anointing to present Jesus, and then Jesus had an anointing to present himself according to the will of the Father, but yet we have an anointing to represent Jesus in his ability, in his power, with his results, amen, in this last generation. So there's an anointing that you need to receive tonight, and don't leave the same. Open up yourself. The Lord showed me he will fill you with his anointing if you make room. So you have to, the more room you give him, the more he'll give you. But it's all up to us. And most of these miracles in Elisha's life have to do with just giving more room. He'll fill the more room. He can only fill the room you give him. I'll say that again. So you understand the, the ball's in our court. It's, are we receptive? Are we willing? Are we willing to open ourselves up? Are we willing to empty ourselves? So the first, uh, and I, I say this not as a story, but this is history. This is true. This is real. Miss Becky. Miss Becky's anointed. 
Elijah's anointing was transferred to Elijah, and we will read these scriptures at the end if we have time. 2 Kings 2, 19, 22. The miracle healing of the polluted water in the barren land. And so this dude is helping a whole city. So he comes into this city. It was, it was near Bethel. And he comes there, and it looks like all the councilmen came to Elijah and said, Elijah, we got a problem. And they said, the city's beautiful. I mean, everything is beautiful in the city. It says everything is pleasant in the city. It's like we really got it going on, but the water is toxic. The water is poison. And so this is what Elisha said. This is just by the Spirit of God. He said, get me a new bowl full of salt. And I, I started reading that. The new bowl, that's you and I. Look at your neighbor. Say, I'm a new bowl. Full of salt. And we know the salt, that's the ingredients of God. That's Christ in us, the hope of glory. And the Bible talks about it. if you lose the salt, if you lose the salinity in the salt, if you lose the flavor or the savor of the salt, it's not worth anything. It's not worth anything for food. It's not food grade any longer. If you lose the salt in salt, all it's good for is to fill a pothole. It's just white dirt. It has no significance at all. It has no value at all. Nobody would want it for anything. And so you are the salt of the earth. So this is what Elisha did. Now, this is by the Spirit. And so this is a big problem in a city. No water. Without water, you can't be productive. Without water, you can't be fruitful. Without water, everything's going to die. And matter of fact, the Bible says the city was barren. It could not help itself. It could not grow. It could not go any further. So he took the new bowl, that's you and I, and the salt, that's Christ in us, and the Bible says he went to the source of the water. He didn't go to the mouth of the Mississippi. He went to the source. He went to where it started. I remember years ago, my pastor told me a story about somewhere there was a little village and everybody was dying in the village and they did not know what it was. But someone found out because they went to the source of the water because water gives life. And they found some big dead animal in the source of the water. And so it, that disease or parasites or bacteria or whatever it was, it just filled the whole life of the uh, village and people just started to die, and die off. So if you get rid of the poison or you get rid of the contamination, guess what? The place will flourish again. And so he went right to the source. So the Lord told me or showed me that he took the salt to the source so the sacred Golly, hold on. He took the salt to the source so what was sacred could be secure. Wow. He took the, you're the salt. Wow. You understand? We are the salt and the life of the earth. And I'm telling you, sin has contaminated so many things. When we go, we bring change. 
You are the spice of this world. You understand? You were made to enrich things. You were made to change things. You were made to preserve what God has already started. You have been made to go and bring protection over households and city. We're called by the Lord to do something mighty. And the Bible says when he brought that salt to the source, he secured what was sacred to God. The city got saved. Come on, somebody. And so you're that bold. You're that new life. We are, we are what brings hope to cities, not only your own family, but cities. Next one. And, the, and then the Bible says the barrenness left. And, and then the prophet prophesied. He said, the water is healed, and there will no longer be death coming from this water, and there will no longer be any barrenness. So we bring fruit. We cause things to multiply. We cause things to change and be transformed in Jesus' name. This is, and I'm only going over seven or eight of the miracles that were performed. And we know that Elisha, he really performed eight, uh, 16 major miracles. And that's twice the number of his predecessor, uh, Elijah. This one's kind of for me. I like this. In 2 Kings 2.23, I'm putting these up here because if you're not in school, we only cover in one little block on a page so everybody can be a part of the school and not be left out. So anyway, uh, Elijah just walked into this city and 42 young people started mocking him and they started called him, calling him Old Baldy, Old Baldy, Old Baldy. <laughs> Old Baldy, you old bald-headed man, old Baldy, be careful. The Bible says, touch not the prophets of God. Don't harm the prophets of God. Don't touch the anointed. Matter of fact, there was a king in the Bible. His name was Joe. 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 Let's call him Joe. King Joe. Joe, not Jehoshaphat. Joe. 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 Joe, Joe, Jehoram, Jehoram, Jehoram. Anyway, the prophet came on the scene and the prophet started prophesying over the city. It's amazing how God wanted to touch cities. He started prophesying over the city what would happen, what needed to happen. And all of a sudden, this king decided, I don't like that. And he pointed at the prophet and he said, arrest him. And when he pointed at the prophet, the Bible says his hand withered. You don't fool with God. Don't point at God's anointed people. You be careful how you judge people. You walk away with a withered hand. Anyway, this story, you just don't touch the anointing. You understand? I mean, and, and don't, don't, don't compare yourself with too many other people. We were talking about that early this morning. You have a feel that you're called to. And whatever field God called you to, he's anointed you to that field. And not only do you have a field to plow in, you have a plow to put your hand on. And the Bible says once you put your hand on the plow that he gave you to get in the field you need to be in, don't look back. Or you're not even worthy to be counted as a servant of Almighty God. And so just stay in your anointing and appreciate everybody else's work in the body of Christ. We, we, it's not competition. 
We complement each other. We're together. It's just like a marriage. Me and my wife, we don't compete. We complement each other. She makes me look good. I make her look good. And together, we just look good. <laughs> Next one. Miracle multiplication of the oil for the widow and her son to pay off all debts. And so there's an anointing to get out of debt. You understand? God will help you when you can't help yourself. And so this woman of God, this woman of God, got any women of God in here? We had a bunch of them here last night. I think that's why we're a little slack here today. I think they just got too much last night. Had to sleep today. Anyway, this woman of God, something was going real bad wrong in her life. Her husband died. And she went straight to Elisha. And this is what she said. Your servant, your servant, my husband, is dead. She told her, your, and she was the wife of a prophet. And he was in the sons or the school of the prophet. So he was being taught and trained and equipped by Elisha. And she knew who her husband was. So because she knew her, who her husband was, she knew who she was. They were one. And I'm telling you, just because somebody leaves your life don't mean you're less. I'll say it again. It could be a good friend. It could be a husband. It could be a spouse. Just because they leave your life, that does not mean that you're less. God still sees you the same way. Come on. You're still special. You still can be used by God. And so basically the prophet said, well, I mean, she was like putting a finger on him. And I said, your finger with up, lady. You better be careful. <laughs> <laughs> And basically, she wanted to know what was the prophet going to do for her. Because my husband served you. My husband followed you. My husband had what you had. Now he's gone. Now I need you to tell me what to do. You need to help me. Anointed one, you need to help me. So he's like, okay, what do you want me to do for you? And he says, what do you have in the house? You know, most people are concerned about what they don't have. Everybody is thinking about what they don't have, what they have a lack of. But God's not going to use what you don't have. He's going to use what you have. You, you, we can be so distracted. I don't have a husband. We can be so distracted. I don't have enough money. We can be so distracted. I don't have a house yet. I don't have an education. God ain't going to use what you don't have. He knows what you don't have. He's going to use what you have and what you have in your house. Now, that's your talent. That's your call. You know, whatever you have. I mean, that's why we tell people all the time, if you're poor, that's double anointing on poor. If, you, if you're poor, the best way to get out of being poor is start giving. Just give your way out. Because it's easier to give a little than a lot. And you might not believe that, but to give 10 cents on a dollar is pretty easy. You might as well give the whole dollar because you're not going to get anything for a dollar. So you're almost willing to give more with nothing. But you get a million dollars and you're going to tie. That's 100,000. It's like, whoa, 
That's a lot of money. And so if you're not giving now, God's not going to add to you. Because he gives us power to gain wealth. I don't care. You look nice and you went to school and you're smart. But he gives us the power to get wealth. And so for that wealth to manifest in our life, he needs to see that we're faithful in the little. And the little in that parable in the Bible is money. He looks at what we do with all of our money. So this lady, she assesses what's in her house. She makes a chart and she figures out all I have. She said, all I have is a jar of oil, but a jar of oil, but a little jar of oil. And the prophet's like, that's enough. That's enough. That's something. That's something you can give. That's something you, uh, God can use. And so he tells the lady, and she says, if something doesn't happen, I'm gonna, the creditors are coming, and I'm going to lose my sons. I mean, she's telling the prophet, we, we got to get this right. And so he comes up by the Spirit. He says, listen, go gather as many empty vessels as you possibly can, not just a few. He said, go everywhere, go to all of your neighbors and gather up as many vessels as you probably can. Now, you know what she went and got. She had crawfish boiling pots. <laughs> she had igloo chests. Anything, she, anything that would hold that oil, she went and got it. She had dented up garbage cans. She had, she had slits Budweiser cans. You understand? <laughs> Whatever she can find. It didn't matter what was in it. It didn't matter how dirty it was. All it had to do is hold the oil. That's all it had to do. And it's kind of like us. All you got to do is want to hold the oil. I don't care how ding dented, crazy, or where you've been or who kicked you around. All you have to be willing is hold on to the oil that God pours inside of you. And so he told her, once you gather all those vessels together, you and your two sons, you go in that room and you close the door behind you and you take that oil and you start pouring that oil. And as quick as those sons would pull those vessels, that oil would start pouring. Now you just have to see this miracle. It's a small jar of oil. And as long as she has the faith to dump it over and has something receptive in receiving what God said to pour out, it just keeps flowing. Can you see that? You can see how much is in the oil, little jar. But then you see how much is being poured out. It's called a miracle. It's called going beyond your imagination. It's going beyond how your mind thinks and how you figure. You understand what you need God can give to you. And so I don't know how, for how many hours she poured that oil. Come here, come on. This is a pour out the oil service tonight. God's going to pour out his spirit tonight. The Bible says in the last days he'd pour out his spirit upon all flesh. We got any flesh in here? White flesh, back flesh, Baptist flesh, Catholic flesh, Presbyterian flesh. I don't care where you came from. He wants to pour out his spirit. And he says his sons and his daughters will prophesy. He said young men will have visions and old men will have dreams. He said my men servants, that's the fivefold ministry, and my maid servants, that's every woman in the body of Christ. He's going to use you, lady. 
He's going to pour his spirit out upon you in these last days. So here it goes. She's pouring. I know she got a smile on her face. <laughs> Jack, get another one. And they move it, and it's still pouring. Still pouring. Still pouring. Still pouring. Y'all remember the service I did years ago? I went and got these little baskets they do hanging plants in from a buddy of mine. He's a, uh, he has a nursery. So he gave me thousands of these baskets, about that big, about that deep. And I just lined the walls. I put baskets all outside, all down the road. I had green baskets as far as you could look. That's the way we need to be expecting to receive from the Lord. Everything that he had. Not a little dose, not a little drip. I'm talking about all that he has. Make room. Tell your neighbor, make room. So you understand, she was making room for the anointing. And the anointing is the power of God, the ability of God, the endowment of God. It's everything that God is being poured out into mankind. Come on, somebody. How many of y'all need the anointing? I heard a story about Muhammad Ali, you know, the prize fighter in his day. He was the best, and he was cocky, and he knew he was the best. <laughs> so he gets on a plane. And the stewardess comes up to him and says, uh, Muhammad, you need to buckle up your seatbelt. And he said, Superman don't need a seatbelt. And she said, Muhammad, Superman don't need an airplane. Buckle up your seatbelt. <laughs> <laughs> and so we're all frail. We're all weak. We, we all have shortcomings. We're, we're nowhere in ourselves or we're super. The Spirit, the Holy Ghost, is the one that makes us super. The Holy Ghost is the one that makes us supernatural. So they're just pouring. I don't know, this could have went on for days. I mean, to see a little bit fill three igloo ice chests, that, that would be cool. Really, we'd all get excited about that. But why quit there? Somebody say, let it pour. Let it pour more. Let it pour more. Let it pour more. This girl's getting it. She's got it. She, she just closed her eyes, left us all, and said, let it pour. <laughs> Rodney Howard Brown, you know, when we go to his meeting, some of y'all do that here, that, you know, he says, come up one time, just one time. Get in line, we lay hands on you, and that's it. Let somebody else come up. Well, we'd come up one time, and then, you know, to be a real gentleman and a real servant of the Lord, after we'd come up, we'd start catching. And, uh, you know, when you're catching, there's a gap between people sometimes. <laughs> and, you know, you're thinking, well, I can catch or I can not get in that gap. And... We quit catching because <laughs> we wanted more. And he would always lay hands on people and say, feel more, feel more. And then he told a story one day that, you know, people that don't get it, there might be a few people here that's not getting what I'm saying. I don't know, but he wants to pour out his spirit. And so he'd lay hands. He said, feel more, feel more. Jason came up here purposely. He said, Pastor, do I have to run, do I have to run uh, sound tonight? Can, can I, like, get you going and then come up here? I said, yeah, get me going. 
get the oil pouring, and then come sit up here. Where was I going? Oh, feel more. So some person that's not in the spirit, you know, feel more, feel more, feel more. They, they, they said this, who is feel more? So anyway, she's behind closed doors with her family in faith, and God is just pouring out. She's watching a miracle in her own household. She went from having nothing to a continuous flow of oil. And oil in those days was worth something. And so finally she told her son, get another one. And he says, Mom, there's no more vessels. And the Bible says as soon as they ran out of vessels, the oil ceased. God's looking for a vessel. You understand? And as long as you're open, as long as you empty yourself of yourself, he'll keep pouring himself in you. So the moment there were no more vessels, it ceased. And so she went to the prophet, and she told the, and the prophet told her what to do. He said, go sell the oil and pay off your debt and live on the rest. God's got enough. He can pour enough in you that you can live off of it. Come on. It'll carry you on into your future. Just this, a starting tonight, a, a, a pouring out of God's spirit in your receptive spirit right now would enable you and enhance you for days and weeks and months. Come on, come on. You can hold on tonight to what the Lord is putting on the inside of you. I'm telling you, I'm telling you. You, come on, you may seem like a little jaw, but God will fill every part of your little jaw. He'll fill you up that you can pour yourself out on somebody else. Shake broke broke Miracle multiplication in this room here tonight. Yeah, whatever, whatsoever your hands touch, you shall prosper. Whatsoever your hands touch, you shall prosper. Prosper because the oil of gladness is upon you. <laughs> Boy, they were some jealous people in that neighborhood. Well, what are you going to do with all that oil? It's not all for you. It comes to you, for you, works in you, but it needs to go through you. It needs to go to those empty vessels around you, in your neighborhood, all around you. I'm telling you, the, the first pouring in you is the well of oil. But once the well of oil gets full, a river of oil begins to run out of the well to touch everybody around you. Come on. Lord, I thank you. I thank you. This is history. This is just not some fairy tale. This is just not some story to make people feel good. This is a type and a shadow what's to come tonight. What's to come tonight? What's to come in this now? I thank you, Lord. What happened then is for us to know what can happen now. What happened then is for us to know and expect what can happen right now. The Spirit of God pouring out, pouring out on all flesh in this room. In the name of Jesus. What's the next one? 
Elijah raises the Shunammite woman's son from the dead. Kevin did that so well, I'm not going to cover too much of it. But I did see this scene today because when I read the history, I just, you know, the movie starts to play. I just start seeing details. And so, of course, she was a woman. She knew who she was. She had identity. The Bible says she was a notable woman. Even, you know, the prophet asked her if she needed anything, and she was pretty bold. I'm good. She was always good. She was good when it wasn't good. She was well when things weren't well. She was good before this story even started. She was good. She was confident. But then the servant of Elisha found out that she had a need because sometimes you, you know the Lord knows your need before you, the Lord knows your need before you even know you have a need. Wow. And so don't go, you don't have to go crying and get all upset and throw a temper tantrum because, you know, he don't know what your need is. <laughs> he knows what your need is. He's just looking how you're looking at him. You know, our need is not what we think. Our need is God. Our need is the Holy Spirit. Our need is not something physical. I'm telling you, we need the word more than we need a job. We need the word more than we need food. We need the word more than we need a new relationship. Because out of the word comes the fullness of God in life. You just shake your head if you hear. Make some response, Jesus. <laughs> Elijah raises the Shunammite woman. So finally, Gehazi questions her. The prophet wants to know what you need. And I guess she tells him, so then he gets with the uh, prophet, and he tells the prophet, she doesn't have a son. She's barren. And the old man is old. You know, when the old man is old, that's bad. <laughs> and so it's almost like the prophet has compassion on her. She has set him up. She has provided for him. And the Bible says he would come by sometimes and she'd invite him in and she would eat and, and he would eat. That happened two or three times. And she just got a taste. He got a taste of food. She got a taste of the anointing. And it wasn't enough just a visit. She wanted the anointing to stay and to, and to dwell and to inhabit her life, just a taste isn't enough. Just a glimpse, just a touch, just a dab won't do you. She wanted to house the anointing. And so she, you know, figured out how to do that. So they added on to the house, and Kevin said it well. When you add on, you have to cut out an entrance. So they cut out an entrance. She put a, a bed in there. That represents our rest in God. Come on, just rest a little bit in the Lord. There remains a rest. You know what that means? You can remain in rest. It's not there's a rest that remains and you need to find it. No, you need to get in it and remain in it. Live in it. Stay in it. And then the Bible talks about a chair. Well, chair repre represents authority. We kneel before the seat of authority. And that's Jesus Christ himself. But not only that... He gives us delegated authority. So we have authority ourselves. And what else was in there? A, a table. A table. A table. That A table? What was the table? That was the presence of God. He prepares a table for us in the presence of our enemy. Isn't that cool? 
People trying to kill you and you're just in the presence of God. Disease is going around and you're just in the presence of God. Everybody's going broke, but you're prospering because you're sitting at the table of the Lord. And of course, the lamp, those four things were in there. That's just revelatory knowledge of God and who he is and who he says we are. So she sets all of this up. And then the Bible says that she comes in the room and she's facing the prophet. And the prophet says she stood in the doorway. And so I just saw this today. You stand in one of two ways. You standing in the doorway, wanting the anointing, or you have your back to the anointing, wanting the world. She added on. She made room again. The lady with the oil, she just made room. Even the prophet, when people, the youthful people, the youth were trying to kill him, he just made room for God. God said, don't, don't fool with the prophets. Don't, don't touch the, he just let God deal with them. The Bible says two she-bears came out. You don't poke the bear. <laughs> two she-bears came out and mauled 42. So it was, the odds were 42 to 1, and the old men came out on top. The old man came out. On top. So every one of these stories is just making room for the anointing. And so that should be typical or realized by you and I when we get in a bind, just make room for the anointing. Holy Spirit, come. You know, the Bible says we worship in spirit and truth. That really means we just live in the spirit and truth. Because worship is not a service, it's a lifestyle. It's, it's what we do. It's our daily walk. It's our daily talk. It's the way we work. It's the way we fellowship. It's just our worship. Is that good? And of course, you know, the, the prophet promised a son, and uh, he even prophesied that a year later you'd embrace that son. And then we know, you know, what, what God gives us, we need to hold on to. What God gives us is an inheritance we need to guard and we need to keep because the enemy comes in and wants to steal what God gives us. Come on, somebody. He wants to steal your seed. What you have in your heart and your prom the promises you know that God gave you personally, he wants to steal that. He doesn't want it to flourish. He doesn't want it to multiply. He doesn't want it to grow at all. What's the next one, Becky? Come on, Becky. Name it. Y'all know Naaman? Well, Naaman had some problems. He, the Bible said he was a man of valor. He was a general. He was a commander of the Syrian army. He won every battle. He didn't lose. He was a winner. And everything, he had money. He was rich. The king loved him. Everything looked good except he had this skin disease. How many of y'all know we can have it right in a lot of areas and there's just that one area that we need God in? I'm not glad for that weakness. I'm not glad for that handicap. I am really not. But that keeps me focused on my God, knowing that I don't have it all together. That's why when Jacob was going nuts, you know, and surplanting, and he's a trickster, and he's a gangster, and he's mean-mugging everybody, <laughs> and stealing, and not acting right, God had to deal with him. And he dealt with him in a place that he didn't know God was going to deal with him. He was in a very uncomfortable place on a mountain. He had a, 
a rock for a pillar. Come on, somebody. That ain't comfortable. <laughs> and all of a sudden, in his wilderness experience, some kind of way in his heart, he started crying out to God. And all of a sudden, he felt the presence of God. And he said, surely the Lord is in this place. And then God came and changed his whole nature. Isn't that something? And he, he thought he's gonna, he was going to walk away completely whole, but he walked like this. God will always let you have just a little limp. He won't let you have it. The world will give it to you. You know what I mean? Or your neighbor will. Or your boss will. You know, something's always going to attack you. Something's always going to hurt you. So you're always going to be frail and fragile in an area of your life that you're going to have to lean on God on that. He's going to have to prop you up on that leaning side. Where you're weak, he'll make himself strong. And so Naaman... He got it all going right, except this one area. Think about the area that you want to get right that's not right. Maybe it's the area of hurt. Maybe it's the area that you, you're deficient in. Maybe it's your past. Maybe it's your work ethic. Maybe it's a hurt. I don't know. But the Spirit of God is here tonight to break the yoke, to break that weakness off of you not to break it but to destroy it that it'll never come back in the name of Jesus so here's Naaman and uh, it's just amazing how God works he won every battle that he got into they even made a raid on Israel and just won that battle too and he stole this little slave girl and she became acquainted with his wife, and she started serving in his own household. And uh, she begins to see her master's problem, this skin disease, leprosy, a type of sin in the Old Testament. And she tells Naaman's wife, this is what she says. Now, you understand, she's a slave. This man probably killed her family. This isn't good. She's away from everything she was familiar with. She's away from her own land. And she's just decided, I'm going to serve my God right here. I'm not going to worry about how bad it is. I'm not going to keep complaining. I'm going to basically minister to my master's wife. So she started talking to Naaman's wife. And she says, you know, I sure wish my master could meet that prophet in Samaria because he would heal him. And he got wind of that. Naaman got wind of that story. So he went straight to the king of Syria and said, listen, I have heard there's a prophet in Israel, and if I go to him, he could heal me. So the king loved Naaman. And so the king said, listen, I'm going to write a letter, and we're going to get a lot of gold and silver and blinging things because it was closed too. And he said, I'm going to send you with all of that. You take this letter and you give it to the king of Israel and then he's going to get you healed. So sure enough, that's what he did. He gave that letter to the king. The king of Israel opened that thing up and said, I can't heal nobody. Who am I? Who? I'm not God. I can't do that. He got all upset. He tore all his clothes off and then... Then the prophet Elisha heard the king was upset. So he went to the king. He said, king, what's wrong? He said, man, this, this man has come from Syria, 
and they want me to heal him and I can't heal nobody. And he's thinking Syria's playing a trick on him. They, they're trying to create something. And uh, Elisha said, I got it, send him to me. And so he had a plan. So sure enough, Naaman comes to uh, the prophet's house, Elisha's house, and Naaman brings his horses, his chariots, his gold, his bling and his thing, and he's got this whole predetermined mindset how this is going to go down. He thinks the prophet's going to walk out when he knocks on the door and go, foo, 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 and boom, he gets healed. No, he sends a chump out, a nobody. But the chump is being obedient to his mentor because he's got an anointing on his own life. But you know what? When you're the chump, nobody sees you right. But stick with your mentor. You got something, they can't see it. Just keep following your mentor. Eventually, people aren't going to look at you like they looked at Jesus. They're just not going to look. They're going to see the anointing begin to work in your life. But it just don't come overnight. And we're going to talk about that tonight. The anointing just don't come. It doesn't come overnight. It's added to you as you're faithful in the Lord. So anyway, the chump comes out and he tells him exactly what to do. He said, listen, you go down there to that river Jordan and you dip seven times. And he just went back in the house. And Naaman threw a fit, a temper tantrum. He went to, the Bible says he was furious. He went to hollering and screaming because it wasn't going the way he thought it should go. It's not going to be like that. It's not in your time. And so his servant told him, Father, Master, if the chump would have told you something hard, you probably would have did it. But he's told you something, and it was a, he was just the messenger. The message was sent by God or the prophet, and he said if they would have told you something hard, you would have done it. But you can't do the easy thing. Wow. You just can't do the easy thing. And Naaman's like, you know, all of the pretty, pristine rivers in Israel. And I got to go down to Jordan. And the, and the servant, the chump to the master, talked him into, just do it. Just do it. Okay. So he goes down to the Jordan, and you know what he does. He dips. Nothing happens. He dips again. I'm not saying snuff. I'm talking about we got to get in the word of God. We got to dig in the word of God. We got to stay in the word of God until we see the promise come to pass. Y'all know the story about if you're going to build your house, you can't build it on sand. And in Luke, one guy had to dig down to the rock. So he just kept digging until he got a foundation. He just kept moving away what was movable until he could stand on what would not move. And it's the same way. He just kept dipping. He kept dipping until his faith got to the place to receive what he needed. And on the seventh dip, he came up something about seven. And when he came up, leprosy was gone. And he started praising the God of Elijah. You know what I'm thinking right now? Use the word of God. It's, it's a weapon against the enemy. Don't just tell people your opinion. Give them the word of God, whether it comes from the written word of God, the recorded word of God, or it just comes out of your spirit. God said, 
God said, take that jar, take your two children, go behind the door, just start pouring it. Now, you, when it's God, you're going to say it. You need to say it. You need to say it by faith, even though it sounds ridiculous. But use the word of God to help people, not just your opinion. And don't rely on all of your experiences. I mean, it's good you got experiences, but people are different. God may not use that experience that you had. It's, of course, it could build their faith, but God's not going to always do it the same way to everybody, the way it happened to you, because that person you're talking to is very unique. And so let's not limit them by our own experience. God can go far beyond our own experience. I caught myself for a couple of years in church just counseling out of my experience. I heard a lot of people. Because God wasn't wanting to use some of those experiences. God wasn't, that wasn't the formula. Your experiences isn't necessarily somebody else's formula. It's what the Spirit of God is saying. Amen. Amen. So Naaman is cleansed. His leprosy is gone. The anointing breaks the yoke of anything that stands in your way. Breaks the yoke of any hindrance, any obstacle, any limitation that holds you back. The anointing will break that. Think about something that's holding you back. Just think about it. Let, let the Spirit of God come in and minister to you right there. Relieve you from that. Release you from that. Sometimes that imprisons us, that, that cages us, that defines us, it holds us, it limits us. That's what the anointing's for. You get free. The Bible says where the Spirit of the Lord is allowed to be Lord, there's liberty. Where's the next one? The miracle of the floating axe head. That's pretty cool. <laughs> I've read that story for years, and I, I said, Lord, I just want a, I want a message on the axe head. I'm just going to bring an axe head in here and start chopping on something. It's going to fly off. We're going to lose it in the church. And then I'm going to cut another branch, go outside, and just throw it up in there, and the axe head just going to catch it. I never could get anything out of that story. Never. I mean, I really, I thought, man, that'd be all. I've never heard anybody just preach on the axe head. I'm not about to, but I got a good revelation. <laughs> and you know what it is? This, it's again, the sons of the prophets, they were growing. And they didn't have enough houses to stay in because they wanted to be close to Elisha, the man of God with the mantle. And the man of God on a mission to mentor people. And they wanted to be close to him, so they wanted to make more room for more people to come get equipped with the anointing that their mentor had. So they're out there chopping trees down to build houses. Come on. Almost every story is to make more room for the anointing. So one guy, he's just chopping the tree, and he's telling old Junior that, man, this is going to make a perfect timber for the new house. And he's chopping, and all of a sudden, the axe head just flies off. I guess it was willow trees. And it went in the water, and he lost his axe. And so how many of y'all know if you lost something, God can find it? Find it. He found you. I'll say it again. You were lost. But this is what the Lord showed me. You can't lose your edge. You can't lose your edge. And you know what the edge is? The anointing. 
It makes the difference. It's what makes the difference. You know what made the difference in Jeremy's uh, praise and worship? The anointing. Simple songs. I mean, it can't get any more simple than that. Just, I'm telling you, you put the, anoint, you put the anointing on simplicity, it's powerful. You put the anointing on cheap, it's expensive. <laughs> you put the anointing on, on a little talent, it's explosive. Anything the anointing is attached to, it just begins to work for God. And so don't lose your edge. Don't lose your edge. And really, the edge is, I know the Spirit of God is upon me. It's not pride. You just know it. You know without, without the anointing, you're gone. You, you know you're not going to pull it off. I was talking to Miss Teresa, and we were talking, she was talking about coming up here to, you know, do the ladies' meeting, and we started talking about being nervous. And uh, I get nervous. And without the anointing, I'd get so nervous, I'd leave. I'd quit. <laughs> but something about the anointing is like the, it's the approval of God on your heart to do something for him. It's just the approval of God. It's like, uh, you know, when they stamp the meat, U.S. What is it, U.S.? U.S.D. Pooh. Don't eat it if it don't have that on it. And so it's like the anointing approves you. It, it proves you. How? By bringing the Jesus result. That's what the anointing does. It brings the Jesus result. It brings the Jesus manifestation. It brings the result of the promise. Come on, somebody. The miracle of the floating axe head. Nothing's too hard the Lord. I'm thinking iron underwater, nothing's too hard. <laughs> Some of y'all will get that later. He can make iron float in a stick sink. I tell you what, you throw the power of the cross at anything, something's going to happen. It'll defy gravity. It'll heal the diagnosis that the doctor said can't happen. You throw the work of the cross at anything. You throw the work of the cross. You throw the performance of my Jesus at anything. It's going to work. It worked for you, huh? Listen, what's worked for you? Tell people about it. The miracle of the floating, the floating axe head. Think about that. I mean, how does that work? There was a problem. A man had a problem. And he trusted the prophet, or he trusted the Lord. And the Lord fixed it. Y'all not getting that. All these people I'm talking about, they had problems. And it was beyond them. Can't the Lord fix anything? I mean, Lord. My God, you need some rice? Believe God for it. <laughs> you know, think, speaking of rice, I'm thinking about this right now. There was a bag of rice here. Stayed here for a year. Maybe long. I'm tired of looking at it. Never open. 
So I'm a, I said, I'm going to take that to my house and feed the chickens. <laughs> the rice, I hope that's okay. Because, you know, rice kind of blows up once it gets wet. I asked my mama. She said, it's okay, so I'm feeding them. And I'm not kidding. I've gone in that 80-pound bag of rice many, many times. And I've mixed it in all the other meal. And it's looked like that bag of rice is still a big bag of rice. How many of y'all know? God's in the chickens. <laughs> Can we be obedient to the Spirit of God? An axe head will listen to the Word. An axe head. The Word said, rise. The axe head said, okay. Get on the stick. Okay. The big fish. The Word of God said, catch him. He's running. Right place at the right time. The wind would listen to the word of God. The ways would listen to the word of God. The donkey would listen to the word of God. But humans, you never know. <laughs> listen to who made you. Listen to your creator, your manufacturer, the miracle. You lose something? You're missing something in your life? God can cause it to surface. You lost your edge, you lost your joy. Your joy is your strength, that's an edge right there. Your peace, that's an edge. Love for people, that's an edge. Who God is, that's an edge. Giving, just love to give, that's an edge. Faithfulness. Generosity. Don't lose those attributes. What's the next one? This was one of his last miracles. For him to have the double portion that needed one more miracle, but he's dead. You ever thought God wasn't going to come through? To have a double portion of Elijah, you know, we, we connect in the dots, double portion, double miracles, because it takes the anointing for miracles. And so he's lacking one, but he dies up with that God's faithful when you ain't in it <laughs> God's faithful when you pull out and leave and die he's still faithful <laughs> so he had to die to see the last miracle and so he was at Wilbur's funeral home they had the whole thing. Preacher Kevin Ray came up there, blew it out. Everybody got saved. Now they caught him in the back of a pickup truck back to the cemetery, Grace Memorial. And, you know, they're about to throw him in the ground. They burying him. 
it messed up, huh? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Ain't nobody said nothing. <laughs> Elisha had died. That was right. I said that right. Then another man died. And for Elisha to see the 16th miracle, you know, they were going to put this man near his tomb or in his tomb, and then these raiders are coming. They're just coming. So his best friends, they're burying their friend in or near Elisha's grave. Am I getting it right now? Like y'all ain't ever messed up nothing. They didn't have time to put the man in his grave, so they hurried and threw him in Elisha's. I was getting to that. Yeah. The raiders are coming. I'm trying to prolong. I'm trying to make it happen. The raiders are coming. The raiders are coming. And so this guy that they're going to bury, that they love, they open the tomb, and it just happens to be Elisha's tomb. They throw him in, and as soon as his body hits Elisha's bones. The Bible says he stood up, stood up on his feet. Stood up on his feet. So that's the 16th miracle. So a lot of things had to happen for that guy. Who was that guy? Let's call him Joe. What did he die of? Probably got ran over by a pack of donkeys. I don't know. Something, something happened to him. Something happened to him. <laughs> so something happened to him so you realize when Jesus rose Lazarus from the dead he had to have great faith to say come forth that was great faith that wasn't your normal read the Bible type faith this is something that just fell on Jesus say it Jesus come forth and all of a sudden you hear boom 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 so Lazarus gets up. So who, who was I talking to about? They were concerned about raising the dead. Oh, that was Chris. Chris worried about he ain't raising anybody from the dead. I said, don't ever try to raise somebody from the dead. You don't try. You do it. You, you don't read the Bible and build up your faith to raise people from the dead. It's called great faith. It's a gift. And if you ain't got it, you're not going to raise nobody from the dead. You understand? It, it just comes on you. So if you pull a corpse out of a coffin and shove it against the wall and, come to, and say, come to life and let go of it and it falls on the floor, you didn't have great faith. Because great faith will pick it up, shove it against the wall and say, come alive. And all of a sudden it'll walk off with you. That's great faith. And Jesus had it. Matter of fact, nine people in the Bible died and were raised from the dead and then died again. Died twice. There's only one man that died once, got up, and never died again. <laughs> His name is the Christ, Jesus the Lord. Come on. Born twice, die once. Born once, die twice. We got any more? So let's let's.
talk about it like this. We're living for today. We want all we can get from the Lord. Isn't that right? Yes. I'm always thinking about it. Y'all may have heard this uh, time I preached. I call it uh, rock and chair uh, vision. I see myself about 90 plus. You know, not that I'm handicapped, but I'm in a rocking chair. Because the older you get, the better you think because you've lived a long time. You've had some experience. You've done some things wrong. You've done a lot of things right. And so we all need this rocking chair mentality. You got to see yourself old if Jesus doesn't come back. So you got to make it that far. And not old and decrepit and going under. I'm talking about your inner person is growing rapidly, but your outer parts are just getting a little old and you're having to deal with that. And so today, as young people, you make decisions from a rocking chair. What's going to be good down the road? We don't gratify our flesh today. We don't make choices today for quick you know, to be pacified or be satisfied, we need to be content in what the Lord is telling us to do. Amen. We need to stay content. The Bible says godliness with contentment is great gain. It will catapult you ahead of everybody around you. And so I'm always thinking about my life when I'm gone. If Jesus doesn't come back in my time, I'm thinking about the dash between 1954 and 2000 and whatever. I'm thinking about the dash. Is your life going to make a difference? Are you going to leave a legacy? When you leave, who are you leaving what you had with? Who are you going to leave it with? Who are you passing the baton to? Who are you? You see this anointing really begins to pour out on you as you begin to pour it out. And so that's my whole point in living. I got to give away everything I have. I have to give away everything I have so I can get some more. And the more I give away, the better off people are. Y'all getting that? Yeah. So I'm thinking about my exit. I'm always thinking about my exit. I'm thinking about how good my funeral's going to be. If Jesus doesn't come back, I mean, it needs to be a party. I mean, people need to get saved. <laughs> Elijah was thinking about his exit. The whole time Elijah was following him, he was thinking about the day he would leave. What a bummer. Leaving this earth and not passing off the baton. Leaving this earth and not having awesome disciples talking about all of us and Elijah told Elisha if you see me when I go up I'll give you what you want so we put it like this around here you'll go up if you help somebody up if you see somebody go up you're going to go up if you help somebody get where they need to be, you serve in another man's vision, 
you serve in a subordinate sort of place and you encourage that person and you gain and glean from that person and you hoping for the best of that person. Elijah said, when, if you see me go up, you'll have what I had. Who are you helping up? Isn't that good? And so he saw him go up. It described it. Chariots of fire, horses of fire, a whirlwind came, just took him up. And all of a sudden, the most powerful thing that he held on to was now in his hand, given to him. But you know when he got the anointing? Not when it fell in his hand and he picked it up. Because you're being handed off an anointing right now. It's what you're going to do with it. Not everybody wants to even cross the Jordan. This man, Elisha, he gave up a lucrative business. When Elijah came along and threw his cloak on him, he said, I want it. He said, I just got to kiss my parents by, but I'm going to kiss them by, and that's it, I'm going. And the Bible says he cut up his 12 oxen, all of the apparatus, all of the farming implements and everything, and he built a fire and he boiled the flesh of those animals and gave it away and just started following Elijah. Isn't that powerful? He said, I'm going to follow you. And in that story, every time Elijah tried to shake him, he said, as you live and as my soul lives, I'm not going to leave you. And the Lord showed me because he went from Gilgal, that's where we got saved. That's where Joshua was about to cross the Jordan himself. And he called all the young men that were in the wilderness and never learned anything because all of their forefathers were running in circles and not serving the Lord. So he said, it's time to circumcise. So he pulled all the young men up. This had to be, whew. And he circumcised them all. And they called that place Gilgal. And that's where Elisha started out with Elijah in Gilgal. That's where the reproach of sin, the power of sin, the power of shame and guilt and condemnation is all taken off of us. And he decided, you know what? I'm going to go on to Bethel. That's the house of God. That's this place right here. That's where you begin to get pastured. That's where you begin to, you know, get encouraged and let go of things and start to walk in the nature of God. And then he went to Jericho. You know what that is? That's real discipleship. That's a battle right there. You, want, you know what a real battle is? It's being disciplined. Because <laughs> your flesh don't want it. And then finally, the last place to get empowered, the Jordan, you can't even pass over it. Most people are just turn around and go back right there. It's too big. It's too much. But he's right behind his mentor. He don't have to invent the wheel. He don't have to do it himself. He just follows his mentor right across the Jordan, walks across on dry land. You know what? You don't need to be your own coach or your own counselor. We need to get beyond ourselves. Too many of us are coaching ourselves and counseling ourselves. That right there will mess you up. You need help. You need the body of Christ. You need a mentor. You need the spirit of God. You need the anointing on your life. We cannot do it by ourselves. It's time we go beyond ourselves and get some help, whether it's the anointing, the spirit, the word, a mentor, a pastor, whatever. You don't have to do it by yourself. But he got that anointing. And the next thing he had to do was use it. 
And I'm, I'm believing God's pouring out an anointing tonight. But you will never see it. It will never manifest in your presence if you don't use it. Well, how do you use it? Just believe something's on you now. Be obedient to the Lord and just do what he tells you to do. He's not going to bless what he says. He's not going to bless what he dream, what you dream, what you hope, what you wish, and what you seek at a mamaya about. He's going to bless what you do with what he says. And when he, he will bless your doing. And in the doing, you're living by faith. You don't know where you're going. You don't know all the details, but you're in the doing. He will bless the doing. He doesn't even bless it when it's all done. He blesses the doing. Elisha was getting blessed in the doing all along, but he didn't realize it. One day, a day of destiny, a day of definite, this is it, bam! He gets it in his hand, and when the anointing starts to work, it works because he uses it. And the very waters that his mentor parted, he had to do the same thing. And if you read that story, he backtracks back to Gilgal. Same, he, the same place he came out of, he backtracked the same way to go help other people because he was anointed. I think that was a good message tonight. You got something tonight. Just lift up your hands, close your eyes. I just, and it's not the thing, it's the Holy Ghost working with you. I thank you, Lord. This church will never, ever be without. I thank you for the hungry, humble hearts in this place tonight. I thank you, Lord, these are, just like Elijah, city takers. I thank you, Lord, there's healing in their hands. I thank you there's a, a delegated authority and empowerment and endowment that you're giving them right now that they can have, they can get breakthroughs for people, Lord, not only themselves. I thank you that everybody here tonight is attaching themselves and in a willing way, partnershiping with the anointing that breaks the yoke, that puts things back in order, that the enemy has messed up. I thank you that this anointing realigns things where there's confusion, clarity will come. What's been destroyed would be, the ruins would be rebuilt. I just thank you, Lord, for a turnaround, uh, uh, an anointing to turn things around. That's it right there. An a sharp anointing to turn things around. First of all, that anointing is going to help you turn around and walk in the right direction all the days of your life. But it's going to be an anointing that comes out of your mouth. You will not lack wisdom. You'll ask wisdom, and the Lord will give it to you in a generous way that you'll bring turnaround to circumstances, you'll bring, bring turnaround to things that the enemy has caused havoc and a mess. A turnaround, Lord. A turnaround. 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 A turnaround. Turnaround, Lord. Turnaround. Turnaround. Some of you are coming out of condemnation. Some of you are coming out of the, the power of the past sin that's held you down, held you back, limited you, binded you, bound you, caused you to feel bad about yourself. Break the power 
of that wrong thinking in your mind right now. Come out of that in the name of Jesus. Some of you are going to fly. Some of you, <laughs> some of you are just going to fly. It's going to be a different